Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, we are here and it is the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Another weekend of action in the Premier League before the great and good of world football head off on international duty in the coming days. And with the world feeling less than normal at the minute, the Premier League has kindly followed suit with three unexpected names spending time at the top of the table in the last 48 hours. So all very confusing, but all very exciting stuff. My name's Fergal Brennan, and with me tonight trying to make a little bit of sense of it over the last two days is the Athletics Manchester City correspondent Sam Lee. Sam, how are we? Yeah, very good, thanks. Good stuff. And we also have the Daily Mail's Northern Football reporter, Jack Gorn. Jack, how are things? I'm all right, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Very chirpy. Very chirpy considering, uh, Sam, you were at the Etihad in the lashing rain and Jack, you've been transcribing yeah. transcribing quotes for the last few hours. And the two guys who've been connected with the game, Sam at the Etihad and Jack watching it from the comfort of his front room. That's where we're going to start. Manchester City, one-all draw with Liverpool in part two. It's going to be the red half of Manchester as United boss Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was able to breathe a bit of a sigh of relief on his way back up the M62 as they won 3-1 at Everton this week. Weekend. And in the final part, it Spurs' 1-0 win against West Brom, plus all the other Premier League action across the last 48 hours. Right, the Etihad Stadium. Sam, we're going to go to you first on this. Huge title clash, although neither manager before the game wanted to put too much salt into this one. But I just want to touch on, before we look at the game... Attending a game like that as a journalist, you're in a, a privileged position that supporters are not going to matches at the moment. When you think of a Manchester City-Liverpool Premier League game at the Etihad on a cold night under the floodlights, it's got all the ingredients that would be perfect to have fans there. What was it like looking around the Etihad and no supporters? Yeah, it's strange. Um, obviously, they, they played in July as well and City won 4-0. It is possible to have a tense, a tense game. You know, a big match where 
everything's riding on it and you wouldn't necessarily realise, as mad as it sounds, that there aren't fans in the stadium. Like the Real Madrid game in August was incredible with just the, the intensity generated by you know the subs and the, the staff of both teams. Sergio Ramos was banned, obviously, but he was there. He was you know whistling and calling up the back line and the City analysts were like cheering every tackle. It is possible for that. And for, for the most part on Sunday... You could you could see the intensity. You could you could, obviously you can hear the players every time somebody had a free kick. You could hear either Jordan Henderson or what's it? Liverpool were the more vocal team to be fair. But you could always hear somebody saying, "Look, switch on, do this, do that," making sure everybody's in the right position. Just because they, the two teams respect each other so much, so you're always going to get that. But I think what we probably saw on Sunday was everybody just looked knackered by the end. So obviously the huge feature of this season is the lack of the fans but the other thing as you mentioned with the managers talking afterwards is the fact that you know the fitness isn't quite there for a lot of teams either and I think without the fans there urging you forward and you know kind of reminding the players that look you're just going to have to go again anyway I think it's easier maybe subconsciously for all 22 blokes on the pitch especially when the managers didn't actually make any subs really um, to change the game I think everyone just kind of accepted that a point was going to be enough by the end and that was probably the biggest influence of not having fans in the stadium you know cheering them over the line uh, Jack Sam obviously mentioned there that so much of the game was kind of shoehorned into the first 60-65 minutes two goals in the first half a missed penalty from Kevin De Bruyne these types of games in more normal circumstances when there is fans there and we're, we're playing in a bit more of a, a regular Premier League situation you'd be expecting as you say the fitness levels to be there and these two teams to go toe to toe for 90 minutes is this something that we're just going to have to get used to in top of the table battles that teams are still feeling their way back into full action and despite the fact that there's huge amounts of talent on display they just can't keep it going beyond 65-70 minutes yeah, there's even more emphasis on kind of it's like a game of drafts or chess or whatever, isn't it? There's more emphasis on that, particularly in the in the final kind of half an hour of these sort of games where it's trying to manoeuvre a central midfielder out or lure him out of his position and, and play around him rather than kind of a burst of pace. Because later on in games, in these big games, when you're at home, you get regular shots of adrenaline from the supporters. So... You know, if City had five a, a five-minute spell with twenty minutes to go, uh, and the Etihad was up, and it can be it can be a great place to play football um, on on nights like Sunday with with a full house there. If if they get that extra shot of adrenaline, then you, you, they can overpower teams. But you just don't you don't have that at the moment, which is why home advantage is kind of gone. I think um, by and large, you don't not seeing too many rollovers that you would expect from from home teams um it was it was a strange it was a strange game in the, in the sense that i think both of them after as you say after about an hour they just respected the point and said well if we can get three then great but just let's just make sure we don't we don't lose it which you don't often see when city play liverpool uh, Sam, another game, another conversation about VAR inevitably. Uh, fans are going to have their own view on the two penalty incidents, the one which Salah converted and the one that De Bruyne missed. From your perspective in the stadium, obviously you're closer to the action, you're seeing things in, in real time as these incidents happen. Um, just to kind of straight ask, the Kyle Walker foul on Sadio Mane, was that a penalty? Well, I mean, 
I was down the other end of the ground and actually quite close to the pitch, which doesn't always give you the best perspective. And also there was no monitors where I was sitting. I'm not complaining, but I didn't, you know, didn't see a replay <laughs> for ages. Um, and it, it looked it. And it's, all, it's always one of those where I think you understand the referee. If a player's made a mistake in the first place and then they're scrambling to get back and it looks like they've made a foul, as a ref, you're just thinking, that's a penalty, mate. You've had a shocker there. And that's exactly what happened with, with the Walker one. And then the handball, I was actually in a great position for that. I, I saw it clear as day and I, I tweeted straight away. I was, that is definitely a penalty. Because before I left the house, I saw the, the Kilman one um, for Wolves against Leicester. And they gave that, and that was even closer. And I just thought, if they don't give this penalty, it will be, it will be a new, an, another new low for VAR and for the consistency of the rules. But I just thought the way that they're kind of clear on these handballs this season, for better or worse, it had to be a penalty. And the Gomez one just definitely was. The Walker one, p- people are complaining that the Sterling one, you know, Sterling was fouled similarly before that. But at the end of the day, it's it was still a penalty, the Walker one. So yeah, both of them are penalties and I don't see too much controversy in either of them. Jack, sometimes there's a little bit of romanticising of these massive games and, and title clashes that they should be decided by something that's a bit more puristic in, in football terms. But generally speaking, in Manchester City and Liverpool games in recent seasons, there's always been a fairly controversial incident generally relating to a penalty that's either been scored or missed or there's been some sort of flashpoint that separated them. Because when you've got two teams going at each other at the level that City and Liverpool are, generally it is going to to take something of you know the, the old thin margins uh, argument to, to separate them. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to, to past seasons. Now, it, obviously, there was a red card in a game at the at the Etihad when Mane uh, booted Edison in the head. Um, it's been a missed penalty at Liverpool. I think it, Sam, but the, champ, the Champions League games were shrouded in. Referee yeah, big time. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was the season before they brought VAR in. Um, the, the, I think like Salah, given how we know how marginal all the offsides are now, I think for Liverpool's first goal in the Champions League game, Anfield, Salah just would have been offside. At the time, you could forgive it, but now you just think that's a terrible mistake because we can microanalyse everything. City reckon they could have had a penalty in the second half and with VAR, yeah. That was the Robertson one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just kind of got clumped after putting a ball into the box. And the worst one really was the the second leg when City would have been 2-0 up at half-time. But it was given offside, even though it came off Milner. With VAR, they would have easily said, oh, actually, that's a goal. So, yeah, there was loads of controversy in, in, in those games. I think based on the way... I can't, yeah, so- you're right. That you're, sorry, Fergal. No, you, no. You're right in the sense that I can't remember too many, too many of the games actually being decided by terrific bits of play. I mean, obviously, there was one in in June, July, whenever it was, when when City were the with a better team, when um, Liverpool didn't take the chances early on. But I mean, the, that wasn't really of much consequence because the title had already had already long gone. I can't think of one, particularly in the early stages yeah, of the e- season. Even even last season, maybe the Fabinho field, goal. Um, City fans really unhappy. Yeah, but even, um, the Fabinho goal was that the one last season at Anfield but City were unhappy in the build up to that they didn't get the penalty for the Trent Alexander-Arnold handball which was kind of similar to the the one on, on Sunday um, and then ev- even if they didn't give that this was at a time when uh, the Premier League were calling goals back for handballs in the build up and it, it was no more it was no less in the build up in that 
for that particular goal than others were the same weekend. It was just a mad time for VAR. And yeah, Fabinho scored after they went down the other end. After it could have been a handball in the box. So yeah, there's always there's, there always seems to be a, a something going on in these games. Actually, I hadn't thought of it like that. And and when you look at as I say, particularly the the penalties and more so the missed penalties, Mares at Anfield where he, he ballooned it over the bar, and De Bruyne today hitting the post, Sam. Pep Guardiola does kind of hark back to these incidents when he when he's further down the road in a season and looking at where points may have either been missed or lost or, or dropped or however you want to phrase it. The margins are so thin, not just in the title race, but in games like this. And Kevin De Bruyne had a chance to win the game. There wasn't a huge amount of chances later than that in open play to win it. Will Guardiola, based on when you spoke to him after the game, will he be looking back at this and thinking, we've slipped up here? Or is this just one of those things that, that happens in a, in a massive game? Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to work it out. You know, we're not too far after the final whistle. Because part of me wants to say, well they'll definitely think they had the chances to win it and they might lament that later in the season but they didn't they didn't go to try and win it in the last 10 15 it, it did look like there was an opportunity for city there to go and do it but they didn't um but maybe maybe that's just the circumstances of the season maybe maybe it is a fitness thing but I laughed a bit when he said about speaking to Guardiola after the game because he, him and Klopp were not very happy at all about not having five subs and like that's completely understandable but they only made one sub each anyway, and Klopp made that Trent Alexand- Alexander-Arnold one because he was injured, and Guardiola was going to bring Foden on and then decided that he didn't need to. And it's like, I, I just wanted to know Guardiola's thoughts because presumably he was thinking, well, I've got to keep these guys fit, but also I need to win football matches. Um, but I think in the end, neither of them just wanted to lose. And maybe that's just a, a case that that's what that's what we're looking at this season. It's not a normal season. You know, there are no fans. The fitness isn't there. And whereas you may have had the teams going all out to get a winner in other seasons, particularly given how one sided these games can be, you just you just there just wasn't that same urgency. So it's hard to know whether City feel like they were too hard done by because at the same time you could say, Well, you could have you could have given it a bit more of a push in the last ten, fifteen minutes. I always think with City that the um, you always get a better gauge of what everyone's thinking with the the players when they do their television interviews rather than Pep. Pep kind yeah. of played it played the result down afterwards. Although to be fair, we dominated most of the press conference on substitutions and TV schedules. But when Jesus did his interview, well, he did interviews with the, the BBC and, and Sky, he said that is a bad result. That's not a good result for us. That's a good result for them. So they clearly mm-hmm. felt that they they needed to win that game. And obviously, Jack, you, you said at the start of the show, when you look at the press conference and, and you've gone through the quotes, the big thing that united the two managers as well as the, the substitutions is this idea of television schedules dominating when games are going to be played and, and how much rest players and managers and, and everyone involved with teams have. Klopp was very clear in saying that the amount of rest given to um, Manchester United that he used as an example who played Champions League in midweek and then the early game on Saturday and hinted at his own team, even hinted at City and Guardiola made the same point, a little bit kind of veiled behind the the substitutions argument. Um, Do you think this could potentially force a little bit of a rethink? We've got a break now with the internationals and television schedules are still being drawn up. Do you think we could potentially see things maybe being stretched out a little bit between now and the end of 2020? Um, probably history dictates no, because Pep said Pep said in his presser that, you know, when he 
20 years ago, 25 years ago, he was watching Ferguson and Wenger moan about TV schedules and nothing ever changed. So why would it be any different now, just with different talking heads? I kind of agree with him. And it's not it's not Sky or BT or Amazon's, it's not their business to protect the players as much as the managers would want them to. The, the broadcasting companies turn around and go, well, we pay our money, so... And if half twelve is the is the box office slot when everyone's in lockdown, then they're going to want the best teams playing in that slot, uh, and they'll say we we don't really owe you anything. And the problem is, does that then creates an impasse because I don't the Premier League can't do anything to to stop um, to kind of thwart the television companies putting Man United at half twelve on a on a Saturday afternoon. They can't do anything because they've paid the money. So if the Premier League can't do anything and the club can't do anything, then you can have this status quo that has been in play for a couple of decades. Yeah, and I think I would, um, with a little bit of a heavy heart, agree with you there that we don't really see the winds of change blowing through just because we're in an incredibly unusual situation. Um, Sam, based on the final results, Who's who's the winner and loser in this in terms of where they stand going into the international break? Liverpool a point behind leaders Leicester at the close of play for the weekend. Manchester City down in tenth, twelve points. This is their third draw of the season. Is it is it just easy to kind of pile on the fact that City are underperforming, um, or do you think that there's a little bit of concern? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's a, it is a better result for Liverpool. Um, City could have won it. Arguably should have won it. It was quite. It was. It was quite an even game. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of finishing off my article from the game now. Um, I mean, normal. I mean, normally as well. If you if you ever hear me speak about City, I'm kind of on the on the negative side. I'm kind of more worried about. Oh, you know, they're not very good at dealing with this, and what about that? And to be fair, a lot of it was very similar today. Um, you know, they they didn't take the chances they created. The midfield. You know, when we talked about the problems in defence in the past, it's not always the centre backs. It's the fact that you know attacks are coming through midfield and and from the strikers not counter pressing. And that was pretty much the same today. But the the huge positive from City's point of view was the defence actually looked really solid. And if it wasn't for for them, you know, it might have actually been worse today. You know, it, we might have been talking about they could have, should have won. It might have been one of those where there's a stupid slip up and that the one nil turns into into two. So um, it's difficult. It could have been much worse after going one nil down against Liverpool. You know, if you start chasing the game against them, you start trying to force things. You make mistakes and you get punished. Um, so they did quite well. Um, but yeah, it's it's a difficult one to call. City not quite there yet with the fitness still not being there clearly in the way that they didn't push for more at the end. Um, it's a bit of a weird one, but at the end of the day, they're five points behind. They've got a game in hand. There's a long way to go. Um, Liverpool, look, they didn't. They were even less capable of pushing for it at the end anyway. So the, in terms of the title race, nobody can be too disappointed, but it would have obviously been nice for City if they'd have got this. It would have really sent a message. And just before we take a quick break, Sam, I've got to ask you about Riyad Mahrez. You've been writing oh, a bit yeah. about it. You've been writing a little bit about. <laughs> don't, him. don't ask him. <laughs> I have to. I've been. I've been told. Uh, just quickly, you've been writing a little bit about him this week and and, and praising yeah. about the types of things that he can do when he's on form and, he, and he's given a, a starting run in the team. He didn't feature yeah. against Liverpool today. Do you think that's? an indication of the nature of these games that we're not going to see um, managers really going for it until the teams are up to full speed? Or do you think Guardiola maybe doesn't see him in his in his best starting eleven? Uh Well, I mean, with 
I mean, first of all, with Pep, there's never really a best start in 11 from one game to the next. But, um, you know, the official reason was, you know, squad rotation that he was given a rest and maybe he was just, you know, fatigued because, you know, we've talked about fitness all, all, all podcasts. We can't just turn around now and go, oh, maybe he's been dropped for this or that because, you know, we just talked about how knackered some of the players are. When De Bruyne missed three games, that was to stop him from picking up an injury. That was precautionary. So it may well be the same with Mahrez. Um Although, I'd, yeah, I'd, it is a little bit of a strange one because they have three centre-backs on the bench. And, you know, beyond that, there was nobody else missing out that, that you would have expected. Um, so you thought maybe he could have been on the bench. And, and again, the nature of this game being what it was, if it was close towards the end, you could bring on Mahrez because Guardiola clearly rates him. Um, so, no, I don't know. I'd probably have to just believe that he was tired at the end of the day because as much as he's frustrating for City fans, uh, I think Pep rates him still. Um, and yeah, it would it would be a very, it would be very curious timing to leave him out altogether. All the only time he did that was in his first season, getting on for about two years ago, when he had a batitude and complained about not playing. And I don't know, it was either that again, or to be fair, probably the probably being tired. Okay, I think that's very diplomatic, Sam. I'll, I'll let you have the hook there. Hmm. Um, we're going to take a quick break in part two. We're going to be talking about Manchester United's 3-1 win away at Everton. A little bit of a pressure release for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We'll be getting the guys' opinions on that in just a minute. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, we are back up to seven days a week with the Premier League back in full swing. So if you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new one every single day covering match previews, reviews, transfer gossip and all the latest opinion. We don't miss a trick. Right, before the break, we talked about Manchester City and Liverpool. Now we're going to go to the red half of Manchester. Jack, going to go to you first on this. Um, before the game, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's fair to say, was under... Just a little bit of pressure on the back of some poor performances and, and pretty bad results. And inevitably, there always seems to be this bit of a cloud hanging over Solskjaer's head. Going away to Everton and winning and winning well, it was a really, really good team performance. How much pressure does that relieve from Solskjaer? Or are we maybe reading too much into the situation that his position is under threat? Uh, I don't think it relieves that much pressure because United are always two results away from a crisis, aren't they? So... Uh, it's it's interesting what's going on at the moment because I, I don't think they're ever consistently bad enough for United to be able to sack him um, without pretty severe criticism. But then again, they're never really consistently good enough to make you think that they're heading in the right direction. And they're just like kind of meandering along, probably finishing the top six. Uh, they'll probably get through to the last 16 of the Champions League. They'll have a little cut run in uh, the FA Cup and then they'll be, before you know it, we're in 2021-22 when nothing's really changed and they've signed a couple of new players and they've still got the same old frailties. But just to ask, from a, from a, if you're a Manchester United fan and you're looking at the performances and, and obviously there is that connection with Solskjaer playing for the club, part of probably the most famous moment in their history in, in 1999. And as you say, it's that kind of little bit of a fence sitting where they're not dreadful and down in the doldrums and not meeting objectives, but they're not 
really progressing to where they want to be. And, and Solskjaer has been clear on where Manchester United should be. Do you think it just takes somebody to make a bit of a decision and say, look, we either take a bit of a leap of faith or we accept where we are right now? Yeah, but I mean, they just, they don't they don't want to sack another manager, do they? Let's be honest. They, they, Woodward doesn't want another sacking. Uh, you know, they, going all the way back to Moyes, obviously Moyes is the wrong choice, albeit they probably pulled the trigger slightly too early and then Van Gaal got sacked after winning the FA Cup because that apparently wasn't good enough and then as soon as the players turned on Mourinho then that was it for him um, so they obviously don't want to want to give Solskjaer as long as possible but you just look at them in, in games that they, they should win particularly home matches and they, they look like a team that don't want the ball um, and you can't Man United supporters probably won't accept Um a team that doesn't fancy having possession and would rather hit teams on the counter attack, which is why they've been so good against the likes of PSG and Leipzig, because there's no, and you know, last season against uh, City and teams like that, because there's not that kind of emphasis on them dictating the game under a different manager. Do they change? They probably do change. I think if you look at well, Pochettino, is obviously the one that they obviously the one they want. I think Pochettino gets more change out of those players than Solskjaer does. Um, Sam, when you look at the performance, obviously based on the Basak-Shear game, we've all seen the memes of, of Demba Bar's goal and the defensive issues that Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof had away in Turkey. This wasn't a clean sheet, but it was an improved defensive performance. Everton's only shot on goal was, was Bernard's goal in the first half. So when you look at the numbers at the end of the game and you're Solskjaer, you'd be boosted by this. But... For me, at full time, there was still far too much of Bruno Fernandes. As long as he's on song and gets himself two goals and an assist, and one of the one of the best individual performances in the Premier League this season, there still seems to be so much weighted on him that if he doesn't perform, United could feasibly lose to probably three quarters of team in three quarters of teams in the Premier League. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't get, I just don't get United at all. I agree with everything. Jack said, "I mean, the only way they could they could quickly cover up the fact that they've sacked another manager is if they do what Spurs did and they get rid of Pochettino one night and they get Mourinho in the next day, and all of a sudden you're just forced to move on. They would have to say, right, cheers, Ollie, see you later. By the way, we've got Pochettino in, and just move on. But in terms of the performances themselves, I just don't get it, and I, I don't get the reaction to the performances. As Jack said, two two games away from a crisis. You know, I I don't think Solskjaer's the right man." But after the Spurs game, which was admittedly shocking, you know the carry on was if they, you know, United hadn't had actually had that run since Bruno signed, basically mainly in the lockdown of playing good football, getting good results, and actually getting in the Champions League, which nobody expected. It was all that was out the window, and it was you know the the worst manager you've ever seen. And then obviously they get a couple of results, and people start thinking, oh yeah, it's actually all right. And then it goes the same goes the same way as before when they lose a game. And the thing is, I don't know why they're losing these games. But, you know, that obviously that first goal against Istanbul. You know, you're right about mentioning the memes, but that's like a genuinely awful goal. And I've seen people say it's like Sunday League defending, but like a Sunday League centre back wouldn't leave the halfway line if his team were attacking. That's just where you stand. Like, what were they? What were they actually doing? And it's, it's I just don't get it. And then they can do that. And then yeah, Everton don't look the same without Richarlison. And they've you know they've got a couple of things they need to sort out, but. In terms of, you know, we're talking about the reaction to these results and performances. 
I was messaging Jack at the end of the game. Decore had a great chance. If he had scored that, it would have been two all. Everton probably would have been lucky to get the result, but um, it would have been, you know, it would have been more, you know, crisis for United. And it's just, I just don't get it. It's like there's the the, the problem is as well because it's it's neither just always that they're terrible, and it's neither that actually Solskjaer is looking quite promising. Everybody knows what the problems are at United. Everybody knows it's structural. Everybody knows Ed Woodward. Everybody knows the the transfer operation is slow and stodgy and they don't get who they want because they're just not a professional setup. Everybody knows the players aren't quite good enough. Everybody knows the coach isn't quite good enough. It's been the same for like six years or whatever it's been. And like from a journalist's point of view, I'm glad I don't cover United because you, you'd just be writing the same stuff every week. Um, and I, I know I've answered questions you haven't even asked there, but I just... I just don't. I don't have specific answers to the to the United questions. I just see the issue at United, whether it's beating Everton or this fictional two-all draw where Decoury scored, or beating PSG five-nil. I think I'd say the same after every result. You know, who are, I'm not even sure who they got in the next game. But if they win six-nil, I'll probably still say say the same things. It's just it's just what United are. And to go back to what I was saying about how they need to. And as you said, you know, in your question to Jack, do they just need to make a decision and move on? I think that's exactly what they need to do. I think they need to say, despite the fact that, as Jack says, they've never been terrible enough for Sack Solskjaer, and I don't get the sense that they're going to anytime soon. I think what they actually need to do is just say, look, it's happened, and this is the man we're going to move ahead with. And I think everybody would would agree that Pochettino is a step up, and that would be what they'd have to do. But um, whether will they do that? As I said before, with the structure to the transfers, they won't. They'll just they'll wait to be in a position where they absolutely have to sack Solskjaer because it's a shambles. The weird <laughs> and, thing and, at the, the moment is they're not going to win the Champions League, are they? That's what. That's how it's going to end. Um, the weird the weird thing at the moment is that you know you look at Van der Beek. Now Van der Beek is a would have been a really really good luxury signing for Ferguson 15 years ago when they didn't actually need any obviously the squad didn't need any massive surgery and they just needed to add a little bit more quality it would have been such a good signing when United were at the top of the tree now you're looking at it and going why the hell have they signed him why have they not spent 40-50 million quid on another centre half or why have they not signed another obviously they got Cavani but that was through desperation why have they not spent 40-50 million quid on a, on someone going forward they've, they've spent the money on a a very, very good player, but one that they didn't need. But it, but this kind of rolls back to this idea of the lack of plan that Sam touched on at United at the moment. Donny van der Beek, in, in his own right, is a very good player and would add to United's midfield if he if he was given a regular run, if he was put in the right system. And I, I think part of why he was brought into the club was Sosha wanting to be a little bit more progressive. It, it can't just be this idea of we'll play Fred and McTominay or Fred or McTominay and, and let Bruno get forward. There needs to be somebody else getting on the ball. But because United, as you say, are always seemingly two games away from a crisis, it would be almost unfair to throw him into that setting and say, go on, perform, sh- show us how good you are. Um, no, I mean, good players. Good, good players can perform, can't they? I'd just throw him in. He's better than what they. He's better than what they've got um, on the ball. There must be a way of getting him into that system. But also, the other thing is, he, some of these players, you just got to tell them like, we need someone sitting in screen in the back four. This is going to be you, and just tell them that's your job. He could do it to Van der Beek. Could say, look, you, you know, you, you can get yourself about. You, re- you know, he's tactically quite astute. Just go and play there for six months because that's where we need you. But they don't seem to do that. 
But that then again rolls back to this idea of is Solskjaer capable enough as a coach to, to say to someone like Van der Beek, who's a Dutch international title winner with Ajax, who, who hasn't necessarily naturally played in that deeper role, but has probably got the attributes to do it. So that again steers the boat towards this idea of, yes, Solskjaer is really well liked within the United fan base and, and is Probably a better manager than we all thought he was when he got the job, but he's not a Manchester United manager in the long, long term. Yeah, but again, I think we just talk around in circles, don't we? Like, and I think he, he is. Oh yeah, to be to be fair, I think he is better than what we expected, because I remember driving back from a City game at Leicester with Jack and another mate of ours last year, the day Mourinho got sacked. We were driving back, going, "Hold on, Solskjaer's the." The manager of Man United. What on earth has happened here? Um, and it, you know, to to give him his dues, a lot of people were probably expecting a lot, a lot worse, and for him to be gone already. Um, but it has, it has, I suppose, exceeded expectations. But um, yeah, ultimately, maybe as harsh as it sounds, it's it, it's not enough. And again, we're just kind of talking around in circles because you know, there's just malaise at United. It's just been allowed to drift on, hasn't it? Uh, moving on to Everton, Sam. You mentioned Richarlison before. The last four games it feels like he's been banned forever. It, well, it does. But this is and this is what it seems. It seems like it's if he's not in the team, they just can't really seem to click. And and he hasn't played in this run where they've not won in four. There's been other injuries. They, they didn't have Seamus Coleman last weekend. He came back in, and it more seems to be that when Richarlison's not on the pitch, and I'll be honest and say. I'm still not overly convinced by Richarlison as a as a top player in the Premier League, but whatever it is that he does seems to be absolutely necessary for Everton to perform because at the moment they're sliding a bit. Yeah, they are a bit. Um, I heard I heard some radio commentary the other week saying, you know, Carlo Ancelotti needs to go in and say, look, I need I need more players. And it's like, yeah, ideally, but they've done well with what they've got. Um, they you know they're getting there. Um, the, the the thing is, I suppose, with how we just analyse football generally, um, they've had a few good results, and we're we're starting to think, oh, it's a weird season. Maybe they're going to win the league. They have a couple more results, and you think, oh, what's going on there? Like it's it's th- these are Everton results. This is a good season they're having. It's it's unfortunate that the kind of pattern of results have have come as they are, and they've probably set the bar in a way too high for themselves. Um, but you know, with the squad they've got, it's got a similar problem to United in in many ways. In the sense that the first eleven they've got there, the first choice eleven, can do a lot of damage. But like you take Richarlison out, and I think Dames didn't play last weekend. After you know coming back from the knock he got against Liverpool, he did play, and then he didn't play, and then he's back in again. And he did well switching the play against United, but he didn't have that much influence. And then you look at the rest, and it's like it's a Wobi and uh, Bernard. You know, Bernard is a poor man's James Rodriguez. A Wobi is. I don't know he's, who he's a poor, man, a poor man's version of, but he's not. He's not up to much. He's kind of a direct, well, not even a threat, really. Yeah, he's just not. He's just not very good. And this is the kind of situation they're in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, I mean, they're all right. They're they're all right. We shouldn't expect them to to be winning every week. Um, they were a bit disappointing against United, but you know what's what's United's record in away games? They had they won ten in a row for the first time in ever in their history. Obviously, awful against Istanbul. <laughs> as we've kind of got into. And then, you know, they've gone back to winning again. So United winning away from home against a team like Everton isn't actually out of the ordinary. Um, yeah, just Everton maybe set their expectations a little bit too high with how well they started the season. But I think overall, they're, they're going to be all right. If we expected them to 
try and win the league or finish in the top four or the top six, then maybe more fallers. Um, I think overall they they'll be all right. And I actually, I was, I'm surprised you're not really having Richarlison. I mean, I, I'd, I'd probably concede that you've probably seen more of him than I have, but I think he's a he's a really good player. And if you've got that threat, you know, centre back, sorry, centre forward partnerships are kind of coming in a bit. And I know he kind of plays off Calvert Lewin, but as Premier League centre backs, you wouldn't want to deal with those two all the time, especially. If you're so worried about them, then you know Hamas Rodriguez has got a bit more space. Um, he, I, I think I do think he's a big miss for Everton. Um, and you know, once he gets back from his 15 game ban or whatever it was, they, they I do expect them to be, to be a bit better. Uh, can I just sum up? Sorry, can I just sum up what Sam said there? Everton have a top eight squad, and we'll probably finish in the top eight. And anything better would be yeah. a brilliant season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think. See you next week. <laughs> I think when you look at the squad just just quickly before we actually go back to the serious business of football I've just done a Twitter search for Everton fans describing Awobi because Sam couldn't think of something the best one I found here is a guy who said that Alex Awobi reminds me of somebody trying to climb a ladder upside down I don't really know what that means but I, I think that kind of maybe maybe hits the nail on the head for, for poor old Awobi um, in terms of results Jack yeah I do get this idea of where Everton are now is probably more realistic than where they were expected to be at the start of the season no, nobody expected them to to maintain a title challenge and when you speak to Everton fans obviously this argument of well why should we expect this or, or why should we settle for this it does hold some water but I think in reality when you look at their games after the international break they've got Fulham away Leeds at home and Burnley away before then playing Chelsea Leicester Arsenal and United before Christmas you probably see more of what Everton are about in those three games. I think they're actually a bigger test. If they can react to this poor run and go on and beat those teams, which feasibly they probably should, then we'll get a better benchmark of, of where they are. Yeah, they'll probably get eight points from those from those six games, the next six. But, which, but will expectation which... then unrealistically rise again? No, because they'll probably they'll probably get seven points from the next three against Fulham, Leeds, and, and Burnley, and then they'll probably nick a point against Chelsea, Leicester, and Arsenal against one of them. And then you go, well, that's probably what you would expect from that squad. I think they'd be pretty much where where you think they're going to where you think they're going to be. Um, I've got two two of my mates at Everton fans. One of them, every time they win, he thinks they're going to win the league, and the other one, every time they lose. He thinks they're going to go down, which I think quite like sums up that fan base, but every fan base, I suppose. And there's a lot of a lot of Evertonians that are very, very pessimistic, and a lot of them get very, very excited very, very quickly. Well, and I think they'll finish in you know as I said before, <laughs> they'll finish in the top eight. Uh, that kind of worrying attitude leads to Sam Allardyce getting phone calls, and I think I speak for for everybody listening to the podcast and, and for you two that nobody wants to see that happening. So, uh, Everton title push back on for the benefit of everybody not seeing Sam Allardyce back in the Premier League. We're going to call it there for part two. After the break, it's West Brom against Tottenham as Mourinho's side win again, and we're going to be wrapping up all the other games from the Premier League across the last forty-eight hours. We'll catch you in a minute. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Review Show. Just a quick reminder, as well as the daily podcast, you can also keep up to date on your own team. If you have an Amazon Alexa device, you can get daily news bulletins, transfer gossip, match reports, everything you could ever want on your team. Just ask your device to enable Sports Social, select your team and away you go. Now, before the break, it was Everton against Manchester United. And now we're going to be talking about West Brom against Tottenham. Um, Mourinho, Mourinho'd it, uh, Sam, for want of a better word. West Brom were relatively good. They had a few chances. Tottenham looked good, but without any sort of real cutting edge. And then Harry Kane pops up. Um, big numbers for him. This is his 200th goal for Tottenham and his 150th Premier League goal. Is it a little bit unfair to say that it was Mourinho'd or, or do you think you know the way that Tottenham are playing is a little bit more progressive this season? Uh, yeah, difficult difficult one to nail down. Um, I, I still remember that West Ham game when everyone was saying after 20 minutes, I was supposed to win the league. And I was genuinely thinking, right, hold on. And was that, was that an Everton fan who was saying that? <laughs> yeah, yes, it was. No, it was. It was so weird. And I remember at half time, I was thinking it'd be funny if this game ends up three two and people just have to temper their expectations a bit. And then obviously for it to be three all was like, right, well, people could just 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 be realistic again. And you know, they're kind of Everton in the sense that people are thinking, oh, maybe they can win the league. And look, if Southampton don't win the next three games, people are going to be asking what's gone wrong there. It's just the nature of it. And it, like when you said, is it unfair to say Mourinho got a Mourinho kind of win? It's just what happens, isn't it? You know, this is, you know, these labels get attached to managers, but at the end of the day, um, God, whether they're going to win the league or not, which I don't think they will. But if you're going to be pushing for those kind of goals, you need to dig out these wins occasionally. And again, this season, it's easier for us to understand that you can't win by playing free flowing football every week. Sometimes you need to dig in and get a result. And, you know, they had a, they had another game in the week. Um, Got, the fixtures are piling up. They've got a bit of a deeper squad than you know Everton and Man United, but it's not hugely deep. They kind of need to manage their resources, and because you know Son and Kane have combined for so many goals and looked so good, you know everybody's triple captain in Son, and you know make, making him the, the the heartbeat of their fancy football teams because you expected him to you know do that every week. But you know sometimes sometimes players don't do that, especially after playing you know, when the team's playing the week. So a one a one nil draw is yeah fair play to them. Um, a one nil draw, fantastic result for Tottenham. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. that's the opinion. It's, it it's, it's twenty to ten. <laughs> it's been a it's been a long day. It's been a long day. Um, we're just going to quickly look at uh, West Brom um, from from their perspective. Slaven Bilic, Jack was quite positive after the game, and he he essentially said that with performances like this, the results will eventually come. And West Brom do seem to be showing some signs of fight. We we maybe had them dead and buried after the first month of the season, and the old argument of have they got the goals have they got that bit of experience in the team no they probably don't but they do seem to have a system that will get them results against certain teams yeah they look they look quite lively don't they they've got some um, exciting players Dean Garner looks a terrific talent I know they didn't have, didn't have Pereira against Tottenham they've probably got more quality on the ball than some of the other teams down there um, particularly Fulham um, as a direct a comparison I, you always get the sense with Bilic that Bilic can grind results out and they can go on a little two three game run that might just give them a little bit of breathing space at some point um, whereas I don't really see that with some of the others because I know we <clears throat> place great weight in managers at the moment but Bilic just seems to be able to 
to get results out of our teams. Um, he's done it in the past, and he's done it most probably and most notably with Croatia. Um, but did it did it with West Ham, and I think West Ham's they finished seventh under Billich. I think that's their best ever Premier League finish, which kind of gets forgotten. Um, he's a very very smart guy, smart manager, um, and if he can set up properly, like defensively, because obviously, particularly in the first couple of weeks, they were pretty porous. Um, at the back if they can sort that out then they've got they've got a better chance than some of the others around them I think um, Just looking back at some of the other games we're just going to whiz through because some of them were pretty pretty low key um, Sam Premier League temporarily leaders Southampton won 2-0 against Newcastle they've now been knocked off the top by Leicester um, it's all looking pretty rosy Danny Ings is out for six weeks but Che Adams got himself a goal and does, whilst they're obviously going to miss Ings and, and he's a huge part of the way that they play when they're riding this wave they seem to be good value for results until he gets back into the team yeah um, you Going back to Everson again, you know, they got rid of Walcott, which probably felt fair enough. But, you know, Walcott's been pushed up front alongside Che Adams. And it, it looked it looked all right against Newcastle from what I saw. Um, they're one of these teams where they'll probably lose against the better organised top Premier League teams. But, um, you know, they, they'll cause issues for, you know, if teams like Man United or Spurs don't turn up with their best game plan or they can't just rely on you know, Rashford or Kane or whatever, scoring a couple of goals out of nothing. A team like Southampton with that coaching setup, they will cause upsets this season. Uh, I mean, God knows where they're going to finish. Again, if we're expecting top six or even even top eight, I think that might be a bit much just because with the resources they've got, they're kind of getting the maximum out of it and they're not going to be able to sustain the kind of consistency that we maybe have seen in the last few weeks. Um, but overall over the rest of the season they'll be they'll be very good value um, they're, they're very well coached basically they're getting there now under Hassan Hull and yeah they haven't got star players to to maybe turn some of the draws into wins but they're doing very well at the moment and I'm sure just nature of football and the way things are going especially although you know they don't have games every every few days like the top teams have but if you keep relying on the same players they're They'll run out of steam eventually, but um, in terms of the resources they have got, I think they're managing them them very well, and they're they're in, yeah they're an exciting team to watch. You can see the patterns of play they work on, and and the way they attack, and the way they defend, and the energy they've got. Uh, it's 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 nice to see, and you know more more clubs will probably go for managers like Hasenhutl now because it's the kind of football um, that owners and fans want to see, and people like Hasenhutl are showing that it can work. So yeah, good luck to them. Uh, Jack, can you reach into your journalistic back catalogue and give us a sentence on Brighton nil, Burnley nil, three shots on target? A truly <laughs> dreadful game. Can can you give me anything? How many did How many did Burnley have? One. It was two one in shots. Definitely not in goals. Um, the, the Matt Loughton yeah. cross went down as a one on target. <laughs> yeah, uh, one sentence. Um, don't bother spending fourteen pound ninety five next time. Okay, I think that's that's a fairly good sentence. Um, West Brom, eh, sorry, West Brom, West Ham against Fulham. We talked about um, Liverpool and Man oh. City playing all of their football in the first hour. West Ham and Fulham decided to play all of their football in added time. Thomas Suchek eventually got the winner, but Sam, all the focus is on Ademole Luckman for if you haven't seen it, probably one of the worst, not just Penenkas, one of the worst penalties I've ever seen. Scott Parker came out at the end and was quite straight and said, "Look, I've spoken to him. I've said it's not good enough, but ultimately." 
we've lost the game. Those are the types of things that you cannot do if you're in Fulham's position. Yeah, exactly. Um, they've, they've done themselves no favours, have they? Most people probably would have had them pegged for relegation before that game and then something happens like that. I mean, they were quite unlucky with the Suchek goal. You know, they were complaining about it should have been an offside and no, you know, the, the offside rules are stupid and the VAR, when they flag and when they don't, you know, nobody's quite sure of what's going on, but they, they were a bit unlucky with that goal. And then, yeah, I, what, what can you say about that? As It's exactly what Scott Parker, Scott Parker said. If you're going to take a penalty like that, you have to score it. Um, I don't know. I hope the lad's not mentally tough because it'll be a difficult one to, to come back to to come back from, you know, I'm sure he'd have been up all night thinking about it. Um, his teammates will, you know, help him carry on. But um, I don't know, if, if Parker was that annoyed, maybe he'll keep him out of the team. And if, if he does keep him out of the team, you know, it's a, it's a difficult one to manage actually from Parker's point of view because you don't want to lose the player because you don't want to like crush his confidence. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one there. But um, I don't like making, you know, sweeping predictions. It's certainly at this stage of the season, but Fulham aren't staying up, are they? Like, it's just I'd be I'd be amazed if they did. I don't I don't think there's three teams worse, and I don't see them. I could I could I could be easily wrong, but I don't see them getting that much better. Um, and we, when they do stuff like that, it, you just you fear for them, as you say. You do, you do. Uh, another team that are potentially in a bit of relegation danger is Sheffield United. Jack, I span you a bit of a bad penny with Brighton against Burnley, so we'll go with a four-one Chelsea win at home to Sheffield United. Similar pattern for the Blades in the last few weeks, positive in the opening stages, and then they just kind of seem to fall away. There's a mistake, a decision goes against them. And this was an example of uh, that again against Chelsea. Tammy Abraham scored a very strange goal that got them level. And then Chelsea just kind of went through the gears and, and Wilder and his players couldn't really respond. And when you think back to last season, when they went behind or they were struggling to get into a game, they seemed to be able to, to find another gear. But that's deserted them so far this season. Yeah, well, the the game at Chelsea last year is quite a good comparison, I think, because were they two down at half time and ended up drawing, um, and they would manage. There was loads of those games last year when they managed to get something out of it when you weren't expecting them to, and they just found something deep within them um, to get results. Whereas at the moment, as you say, it's uh, it's individual mistakes, and then games are just running away from them too quickly. Uh, I. I've not watched enough of them live to know whether teams have worked them out or not with the very distinctive way that they play. I think that'd probably be a lazy thing to say. Um, I think it is just, I mean, you look at the, the. I think it I think it was the Chilwell goal um, on Saturday. You just want your goalkeeper to come out and deal with that situation properly and he hasn't. Um, and then the game's 2-1 and you're chasing it and they're still chasing it late on and then give up two, two more goals. It's, it's hard. It's, they just need they need something to drop for them and at home I mean they're they're the team that's missing their supporters more than more than any other club in the division at the moment I think uh, Sam from a team that you'd probably expect to score four goals at home to a team that you definitely wouldn't uh, and that's Crystal Palace 4-1 at home to Leeds um, I, I can't yeah. believe Crystal Palace have scored four goals I, I honestly can't I, when I was doing the report on this I, I had to check a couple of times to say that this wasn't a misprint but in fairness um, really good performance against Leeds who are struggling a little bit at the minute and Eberichi Eze mm. is, is a player that I really like the look of when we talk about Palace we always talk about Zaha but uh, this guy they got in the summer from from QPR. He looks like he could be a real player. Yeah, and like the QPR fans, like he, he left with their blessing, didn't he? It was like 
you've been you've been great for us, kid. Like go and smash it in the Premier League, which is nice. You don't see enough of that, and I mean you you can see why. You know, he obviously won them over with his performances, and I think he's doing that with Palace. And look, at the end of the day, you need a bit of that at Palace because for for too long they've relied on Zaha, and I don't think Zaha had a great season last year. But at the same time, it must be difficult when you've got a, a very very functional team and with very little inspiration in it. And you know, he's he's got a shoulder that burden. But now Eze is coming in, and if he can help that. You know, it, it might transform them a bit, and that that might have been what we we saw against Leeds. But at the same time, I think Leeds are going to have a, a few of these games this season where they don't help themselves, and I don't want them to change. I'm not saying they need to adapt or they need to do this. I I, I like the the different the differences. Like I said about Southampton, it, it's good that Hasan Hotel's working, and it's good that Bielsa's in the Premier League. And I hope they can sort it out and and have a good season and stay up and even do what Sheffield United did. But I think they're going to have a few of these games where they're, they're trying things that maybe don't work and they run up against an experienced Premier League team like Palace who have a good day and all of a sudden they get battered which is obviously what happened against Leicester as well um, yeah I hope they can I hope they can, can sort it out Leeds but yeah Palace good luck to them because as you say if you if you would have told me that Palace were going to win this game I'd have said okay they'll keep it tight and they'll win 1-0 and nick it not win not win by four so yeah um, again good, good luck to them and uh, <laughs> And having Eze in, it, yeah, he just seems like a a good player and a nice lad. And it, it's it's he's a really really lovely lad. Eze. He's started out really, oh, really really nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We um, I've done him a couple of times because I cover the under twenty ones. I've done him a couple of times. He's just a really really nice young lad. Um, well, there we just go. Happy, just just happy to be playing. Yeah. Uh, Jack, bit of a Gary Lineker moment. We have the final word with the current Premier League leaders, Leicester City. Jamie Vardy was, you know brilliant and unfortunate in this game scored from the penalty spot and then missed a penalty uh, longest running Premier League penalty success streak over uh, 11 straight successes now ended by one that missed but one went in and that secured three points and Leicester at top of the league it's difficult to draw too much from this performance because everything was focused around the penalty and, and more controversy Sam touched on it right at the start of the show Matt Kilman, another VAR decision another handball going against but Leicester do look impressive and, and they look like they've got enough of a squad to balance against the Europa League. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really, really good result against Wolves. It's, we'd probably look at that and go, well, we'll take a point and move on. But um, it, I, we said this about Leicester last year, didn't we? And obviously, the, the year when they when they won it, it's like it's just how long can they how long can they keep it up for? I mean, they've got some terrific, really, really good players, and they've they've bought exceptionally well over the years. Um, I mean, like, kind of, you wouldn't know that Ben Chilwell's not there, which is a testament to the to the recruitment. Um, James Justin looks a, a really good player. And what I was going to say before about Essay is that Palace have bought Zaha's replacement a year early, and that's exactly what Leicester did with Chilwell. They bought Justin last year, gave him a year to bed himself in, and now he's ready to just take, make the position his own. Um, and that'll probably happen at, at Palace as well I just think Rogers underrated manager Vardy gets better with age and they've got a midfield that mixes like finesse with Braun which they've got all the ingredients to, to have a really really good season again 
Yeah, I agree. And if you're looking for an absolutely tangible and uh, pointless way to end the show, the last time Leicester City were top of the Premier League, they were Premier League champions, and Donald Trump was not in the White House, and he probably won't be by the time we're recording again next weekend. We're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Sam, Jack, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks very much. And all I can add is good luck to everybody. Well, good luck to every listener. Yeah. <laughs> Say, Football was the winner. <laughs> Sage advice there from Sam Lee to wrap yep. up. Uh, the guys will be back tomorrow reviewing Ar- Ar- Arsenal's game at Aston Villa and looking ahead to a busy week of international football. Don't forget to check out the podcast then. And we'll see you again very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.